2: Hi everyone, thank you for tuning in to the Lakers Legacy Podcast. Tonight's podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Interlude Active Retreats. Interlude Active is a retreat brand that's based out here in Los Angeles. It is a health and fitness retreat that brings to you experts in a variety of different areas to provide you with an extremely well-rounded experience of body awareness, active training, relaxation, and fun. Through four days and three night accommodations in the Redondo Beach area, you will get daily yoga classes, circuit training workouts, body awareness seminars, as well as some special healthy meal prep cooking demos provided to you by a professional chef on site. The next Interlude Active retreat will be taking place in Redondo Beach on November 1st through the 4th. If you want to hear more about Interlude Active and the retreats that they hold, please visit interludeactive.com. Use promo code Lakers Legacy Pod to get 20% off your retreat package. Interlude Active, your life recharged. And now we turn it over to our regularly scheduled Lakers Legacy Podcast episode.
0: I want to win. Like, I want to go to the conference finals. I want to play Golden State. I want to, there's certain things I want to do. So I felt like coming to the Lakers would be the best bet for me to get the right playing time and be able to contribute to a winning organization.
2: All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where all summer long we've been chronicling all of the Lakers' newest faces this season, and it has finally led us down this epic and glorious path, the Path of Enlightenment with JaVale McGee. <laughs> we we have found the fifth Infinity Stone, Tommy, and with a snap of our finger, everyone on Earth will possess a JaVale McGee rat tail behind their head. Yes! <laughs> So how does that rat tail look on you?
3: It's not a good look for me, I'm going to be honest.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So hey, like we've been saying, like we have this entire summer, we've got a special guest on with much more expertise and insight than we do on JaVale McGee's last few years, and he'll help us suss out the potential value or non-value of one of the most interesting men in the NBA world. Um, And here to do that is Warriors World writer and Light Years podcast host, Andy Liu. He gives us the good and much of the realistic bad with JaVale McGee, and then because I couldn't stretch out a 20-minute, 30-minute JaVale McGee segment, the last 20 20 minutes of our conversation, we just end up talking about crazy rich Asians, so if you're into that, then you're welcome in Chinese. Also, spoiler alert, (laughs) if you do get far enough down that path and want to continue, we do talk about the specifics of some of the plot points in the movie, so obviously, yeah, spoiler alert. But yes, this is the JaVale McGee show. We did not forget about him. Tommy, out of JaVale McGee, Swaggy P, and Jordan Clarkson, who at one point or another were Lakers, who has the most ridiculous fashion sense to you? Um, it's tough, right? It yeah. is tough, actually. <laughs> That's a good question. I think I would still say... Uh, wow, God, actually. You saw those fanny packs by JaVale McGee this summer? I would say
3: Swaggy P still. That guy is completely insane. <laughs>
2: All right. um, But yeah, before we dive into our McGee talk and my interview with Andy Liu, as usual, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate interview us on iTunes because the more you rate interview us, that's how many more ponytails slash rat tails McGee will continue to add on the back of his head because the back of his head look ridiculous. Ridiculous. I think at one point he had three little ponytails sticking out. So I definitely want to push things to the edge in that respect. So please rate and review us so we can keep stacking up those uh, rat tails behind McGee's head. But on a serious note, please just rate and review us on iTunes. You know, we've pretty much done a player profile on all of the Lakers' newest faces. uh, Isaac Bonga not included. Um, But if you go back and uh, check out our, our episode Q, you'll find an episode on Rajon Rondo, Lance Stevenson, Michael Beasley, Svi Kailu, obviously Mo Wagner, we did a two-parter on him, and now JaVale McGee. So we've been working hard this summer, and if I'm being completely honest, not to put make this a bit of a pity party, but you know we've worked really hard this summer to have a weekly show pretty much since June, sometimes pumping out two episodes in a week just to make sure that we are providing you with some high-quality Lakers content And, you know, this isn't our day job. We have day jobs, and this takes an enormous amount of time just to prep, schedule all these interviews, and it'd be really nice to get, you know, more ratings and reviews. Uh, So if you listen to our podcast, if you've regularly listened, if you've even listened to two or three episodes this summer and and have been entertained to even a 50% degree, we would really appreciate it if you just rate and review us on iTunes. Following us on Twitter, at Lakers LakersLegacyPod, is very important. And it, whenever we drop an episode, if you could like that, retweet it, share it to other people, bump up our Reddit threads, you know, all of that would really help. And if you guys want more consistent content, more episodes, that would go a long way in doing that, helping, helping us chug through long work days just to get this out to you guys and I I really enjoy doing this but at the end of the day you know we can only go so far as as your guys' support so that's really my plea obviously not not a pity party or anything like that but just a call for action a call for help because most of the time when we do these reads it's easy to gloss them over because they're part of a corny joke that I insert into all of this stuff but also yeah the biggest thing is please follow us on twitter at lakers legacy pod we'd love to gain more followers if you could share our page, rate and review us on iTunes, you know, donate a dollar, donate two dollars on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast. All that would really help. And obviously we really, really appreciate your support and all the listeners that we have, even from if you're if you're a day one OG er that listened to us back in 2015, obviously big props to you guys. And and big shout out to all of our new listeners that we gained this past summer and this these past few months as well. Please help us get to 2,000 followers. That's really all I ask. Let's get to 2,000 followers by the time training camp opens and the new season begins. Let's do it for LeBron. Let's do it for all the excitement that we've had during this past July. We are 25 followers away, so let's make it happen. So yeah, with each of these player profile episodes we've been doing, I typically like to start the episode off with more of a general Lakers topic outside of the player we're actually covering. Uh, So Tommy, tonight... Before all the JaVale McGee stuff, which I can't believe there's actually a lot of JaVale McGee stuff, but there is. I wanted to first ask you, and actually it's kind of related to JaVale McGee. And we did this in the last episode with regards to the young guys. And now obviously, as with the X-Men Days of Future Past, we are now going to turn it over now to the older guys. Quote unquote older guys. So out of the Suicide Squad, and now that we've gotten all the context and perspective we could soak in from all these player profiles we've been doing is there any guy you're most excited to actually watch now that maybe you weren't so hot on before? And on the record, we were not hot on any of these guys, so maybe this is a pretty easy question. But Well, yeah. I, I mean, look,
3: I will say that the one guy I think we were all kind of, well, eh, that's fine, about was JaVel McGee, so I'm not even going to count him because he's, sure. he's like, fine. But um, the one guy that I'm most interested to see uh, is Rondo. Because Rondo, I I won't say it was the most extreme reaction I had. My most extreme reaction was 100% Lance Stevenson. Um, and that one, I'm still like, I'm trying to remain optimistic about it now. But Rondo is actually really damn good. And yep. I didn't realize that until I really sat down and looked at like some of his advanced stats and looked at... A lot of his highlights from the last uh, last part of last season, and especially from the playoffs. And you start to realize like, wait a minute, you know, you, we get so wrapped up in our own Lakers world. And I still think of Rondo, not even as like the big three Rondo, but as the post big three breaking up, like Rondo, who was dribbling at 16 seconds out of the shot clock and passing it to, it just felt like he was get like trying to p- p- pile up the counting stats. Um, He was like the triple-double point guard before Russell Westbrook, and it felt like every night you could see him almost like targeting those stats. But Mm -hmm. if you watch him now, it's he plays the way that we want to play. He pushes the ball up, and it doesn't matter if it's the pass that's going to get. He just happens to get a lot of assists because he's a really damn good passer. So I'm really, really excited to see Rondo. Um, He obviously has his offensive limitations, but... I'm, I'm. I had a pretty big change of heart compared to what, what I thought he was going to be initially, and what I think he's going to be now. And I'm curious to see how it ends up.
2: No, yeah, I totally agree. And obviously, after my interview with Ali Cosell, who kind of he helped totally dispel all of these notions that Rajon Rondo is a wreck in the locker room and he's a chemistry problem in a locker room cancer because. Pretty much, even when he was with the Chicago Bulls, he was the guy who really took the young guys under his wing. And when Dwayne Wade and Jimmy Butler were squabbling, he was the guy who was trying to maintain the peace and stuck up for the young guys. And then, obviously, with the Pelicans, he really helped turn that team around when De- DeMarcus Cousins went down. Um, and honestly, the, the Maverick situation and maybe the latter end of his term with Boston, those are really the only instances where you know his strong personality really came to a head um, with his head coach and he was re- that, and he was really relegated to not playing at all. But outside of that, wherever he's gone, even playing wise, he's been really good because even in that Chicago Bulls team, if you remember they were almost about to upset the Celtics before he went down with a like a hand injury or something That's right. like they were up 20 and he was he was one of the main reasons why that Chicago Bulls team was humming along with uh, Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited about Rajon Rondo. Also, just because I've dug into a lot more of his interviews and what they say is true about how smart this guy is, how intelligent and thoughtful this guy is. Very self-aware dude. Um, And I just think he's the type of guy that LeBron James is going to love to have in the trenches with him, especially if things end up going haywire and the young guys get the hiccups and whatnot. Just like Kobe Bryant respected Rondo to the utmost degree, I think LeBron James does as well, and he'll learn that firsthand this season because I think Rajon Rondo is the type of guy who takes no shits from anyone, and that includes the coach, you know? He's the type of guy that wants a rational explanation to why we're doing things the way we're doing, and he will offer up an alternative solution that he thinks is better if you don't know what you're talking about or you don't have anything substantial to back yourself up. So, obviously, that type of dynamic could be explosive and it could go the other way, but... Knowing Luke Walton and him being a collaborative coach and a player's type coach, man, I just think it could go really well the other way as well um, in terms of really get, getting the best out of these guys. And, and Lonzo Ball, I think, is going to learn a lot from Rajon Rondo. And a large part of Lonzo Ball's weakness last year was just having a little bit more mental toughness. You know, He's a pretty low-key dude, but you can tell there were times when his confidence was shook. And I think Rajon Rondo is really going to help him in that respect. Um, But outside of Rajon Rondo, actually in a reverse way, I also feel like I'm most excited to see Lance Stevenson prove all the doubters wrong. And I guess I'm just that type of guy. And you had mentioned that we had the most extreme reaction to Lance Stevenson. But if I remember correctly, we had the most extreme reaction to Rajon Rondo because the Lance Stevenson stuff happened amidst the LeBron signing. So we actually were able to brush him off initially. But when the Rajon Rondo signing happened, we had already signed Lance Stevenson and we had just let go of Julius Randle. So when Rondo was the next domino to fall, we lost our shit pretty much. You You can look back on our Facebook thread. We were like, Rondo, are you kidding me? We already signed Lance. Obviously, there were other factors that made that reaction more extreme than not. But yeah, I, I'm also interested in seeing Lance Stevenson kind of prove the doubters wrong. And if you've seen any of his off-season videos with him and his do-rag absolutely balling people up, it's pretty exciting. Have you seen any of those, Tommy? I've seen like so many of them. And I was <laughs> going to say
3: that one thing I was going to say is... Say what you want about Lance Stevenson, but that guy loves basketball, man. I mean, every single day he is playing. And he's not just like... I mean, he's working out too, but he just loves to play. Like, he's just playing pickup basketball, like, all day and night. He's, like, tweeting in his Instagram... Or, sorry, not tweeting in his Instagram. I sound like a (laughs) 90-year-old woman. Inception. (laughs) He's... uh, He's Instagram in his Instagram stories, posting all this stuff about like, if any pros want to play me, I'll fly you out to play me one on one right now. And I'm just like, oh my God.
2: <laughs>
3: like, that's pretty intense, dude.
2: But he, he's MySpacing in his Facebook. He's MySpacing in his
3: Facebook. He's, I can't even remember all the old school stuff
2: that we used to use. <laughs> he's Zanga, Zanga-ing Zanga, GeoCities. I, I was trying to think of the Zanga, dude. Uh, oh, you're done. Okay. Um, so yeah, no, I agree with you. With that said, Tommy, JaVale McGee. Uh, what do you? We don't have to talk too much about this since I'm going to talk about this with Andy, but what are your thoughts on JaVale McGee? Look, this guy has never played that many minutes in his career, even when he was at his quote-unquote prime, but what do you think he does for the Lakers, and how does he change the game? And as Lakers Twitter has been saying all offseason? How does he change the geometry for this team? Is he LeBron's new Birdman Birdman? Uh, how does he affect a guy like Lonzo Ball and a guy like Rajon Rondo, who had this in spades with Anthony Davis last year? So yeah, what do you think about JaVale McGee, even in 10 to 15 minute spurts? So I think JaVale McGee, a couple of things.
3: Number one, even when he was in his prime, he. he he is limited because he has really bad asthma. He physically, I don't think, can play more than like twenty minutes a game. Um, so I think that is one built-in um, factor that's going to limit his minutes. Second factor is, um, uh, or second thing I was going to say was the geometry of the game thing. That you know, that's famously Rob Palenka mentioned that. Um he does change the geometry of the game. At first, when Rob Robalenka was saying that, I was like, just shut up.
2: <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> it's like one of those things. He's like that snooty kid in class. Exactly, it's like, dude. It's <laughs> like just 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 shut up with that. You don't know I need mean? <laughs>
3: but but uh honestly though, he really in a lot of ways, I think he does change the game. Um Wait, should, the is that the title? The is
2: that how I should title this episode? Changing the geometry. geometry. Of the game. Yeah. Change okay, cool.
3: But he uh no, he really does. He does he he, LeBron has historically played very well with above-the-rim players. I mean, we haven't seen it in recent years because he ha- hasn't had that many options. But when he had Birdman Anderson, Birdman, Birdman, you know, like where did that come from? Birdman, Birdman. Birdman. Exactly. That saying didn't exist until, and, you know, like LeBron made Birdman into like a dangerous player on the court. Um uh, what's that guy's name? I was gonna say Brandon Bass. No, JJ Hickson. JJ Hickson randomly was like really good with LeBron because he could play above the rim. Um, you know, there's there's been guys like this throughout LeBron's career, and it's it's gonna help LeBron. It's gonna help Ron, uh, Rondo. It's gonna help Lonzo Ball. JaVale is not just, and he's another guy, as I've mentioned, like so many times throughout this summer, I've been very bored and I've watched a lot of clips. I watched a video of like every basket JaVale McGee made the entire season. and It's only about five minutes. It's really, yeah, it's not that much. I'm not going to pat myself on the back for it, but he is so good, man. Like you throw the ball again, everybody has their limitations, but you throw the ball anywhere near the rim. And JaVale is going to grab it and dunk it. He is so athletic. His wingspan, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's so long. It, it's just rare to find a guy that tall with that big of a wingspan. I mean, if he didn't have such a bad reputation for being... 7'6
2: wingspan, bro.
3: there There you go. If he didn't have such a bad reputation for being like the shacked and a fool guy or whatever... I swear to God, JaVale McGee would be, you know, I'm not going to say Hassan Whiteside because JaVale McGee is not capable of playing like 30, 35 minutes a game. But I think teams would. you know, his career arc would have looked a lot different. And it sucks that something like that could do something like that to somebody's career. But I, I think JaVale McGee is actually a really, really underrated center. I mean, this is the kind of guy we should have been going after when we went after Timothy Mozgov, right? Like, a guy who can just be a big body down there, who can protect the rim, and who can finish on the pick and roll. That's all we wanted Mozgov to do. And JaVale McGee really solves those problems um, in terms of, you know, giving us what Mozgov was never able to
2: Sure, even, even the 10-minute, 15-minute version of JaVale McGee. But with that said, you know, my interview with Andy Liu will kind of shed some additional light into just the value that JaVale McGee was able to provide for the Golden State Warriors, how he was able to turn that in a Fool sort of perception into more of a contributor on a championship-contending team next to Steve Kerr. And also, there's a little more to why JaVale McGee doesn't get on the court Outside of the asthma part. So Andy Liu helps us uncover all of those things. He gives us a very realistic viewpoint of JaVale McGee, while also also outlining the benefits of just having a guy who is just one of the best finishers in the NBA and just a guy who loves to roll to the basket and catch any and all balls that are thrown into the air. So our best guy doing that last year was Larry Nance. But JaVale McGee, you include that seven 7'6 wingspan and... Yeah, it should only benefit Lonzo Ball, Rajon Rondo, and uh, LeBron James, even if it's only 15 minutes a night. Um, so with that said, I'm going to leave it at that, and I'm going to turn it over now to my interview with Andy Liu, writer from Warriors World and Light Years podcast host. Uh, so catch my interview with him after the turn. More JaVale McGee. Also, some Crazy Rich Asians talk. So if you haven't watched Crazy Rich Asians, go ahead and watch it. I know Tommy really enjoyed that movie as well. Bach Bach bitches right that's right that's right so we'll catch you guys after the turn
0: i got to see two years straight of what the grind really takes to win the nba championship so just being able to to be a part of that actually contribute to that um was an amazing experience for me um and i definitely can bring that here hey this is brian from the almighty baller podcast network here to talk about keeps so there's just no two ways to say it losing hair is awful nobody wants to go through it and two out of three guys are going to experience hair loss by the time they're 35 this is the world we live in people now I personally haven't started this you know, downturn but I got a couple of people close to my life that go through it and they always say should have started it sooner rather than later So anyways, these FDA-approved products used to cost so much, but now, thanks to Keeps, they're finally inexpensive and easy to get. For five minutes, now and starting, just $10 per month, you'll never have to worry about hair loss again. So they've ironed out the process. Basically, you just take a photo of your hair, and you shoot it over, and a licensed physician will review the information and recommend the right treatment to you, and then, boom, shipped right to your door every three months. So Keeps is only $10 to $35 a month. Uh, plus, now you can get your first month free uh, to, to what? To keep your hair. So come on. What are we talking about here? To receive your first month of treatment for free, go to keeps.com almighty. That's K-E-E-P-S dot almighty. That's a free month of treatment at keeps.com almighty. Keeps hair today, hair tomorrow.
2: So tonight we've got on credentialed writer from Warriors World, host of the Light Years podcast, Andy Liu with us. He's going to talk to us about some Javale McGee. What a time, what a world. Andy, thanks for hopping on with us. How are you doing tonight?
1: Good, man. Great. Thanks for having me on. I guess we're going Javale for 30 minutes. I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm okay with
2: that. (laughs) We'll see if we can do it. So before we dive into things, I kind of mentioned your credentials, but why don't you let the people know what you do and where they can find your
1: work? My old, old work, you can find at goldenstateofmind.com. That's why I did like analysis, video analysis, all of that fun stuff. My feature work, you can find at warriorsworld.net. But for those that don't want to read, you can find me on Lightyear's podcast on iTunes. So um, you can you can hear about the Warriors, and we do the rest of the NBA too. So um, if that's what you want to listen to, it's on iTunes.
2: And sorry, I, I don't think I uh, heard it, but where can people find you on Twitter?
1: Oh, on Twitter. It's on K H uh, L I U. though I have to warn. It's a Warrior-centric Twitter account. So if you're a Laker fan, it might not be the place to go. But um, if you, if you kind of like jokes and you want to have fun and you like the Warriors, then, then it's your vibe.
2: Oh, well, you know, we had some bandwagon Lakers fans who were <laughs> Warriors fans for a little bit. So you know how that goes. Uh, <laughs> uh, with that said, JaVale McGee, was this a light years type move by the Lakers to snatch away the Warriors 10-minute-a-game Rabbit of a dunker and shot
1: blocker? I'm going to be honest with you, man. I, I never, I, I like the entertainment value of Jim Hale McGee. Um, and he was fun. And he's someone that like you throw on the floor for like four or five minutes and he'll throw on a couple dunks and he'll make the highlight reel and he'll make the bench go crazy. Mm-hmm. Like LeBron is going to have a fun time on the bench. And Josh Hart and those guys are going to cheer it on. But if you're looking for a real established contributor from the center position, that's probably not what you want to have. Because at mm-hmm. the end of the day, JaVale is someone that can jump, and he's tall, but he also has no idea what the hell is going on on defense. And on <laughs> offense, he's really only good at one thing. He's really good at catching the ball, and he's really good at dunking the ball. Um, anything other than that, like recognizing a defense, pick a little coverage, making a hook shot, or making a post move, or really recognize anything or what to do, that's not your guy. So from that perspective, I would say that the Lakers messed up by... I mean, he's the only center, right? Like, mm-hmm. if he was, like, your second or third string center, that's fine. But if he's someone that you have to give more than 10 minutes to, that's probably not fine. And I just don't understand why the Lakers didn't send anybody else. So it's not a detriment to to Vale. To it's just more of a, you should probably get someone else so that you don't have to play this guy so much. So that's probably where I'm going for.
2: I don't think you've heard of Moritz Wagner from Michigan (laughs) because that guy is going to be playing 20 minutes and so is Ivica Zubac and LeBron James is going to be playing at least 10 minutes at center I don't know we'll see how it goes I mean we also we obviously also have the same questions as the rest of the league look the Lakers are trying something different this year we'll see very quickly whether it's a good different or a bad different how long LeBron James at center is how, how sustainable that is. I, I don't think they're going to begin actually doing that till the playoffs happen and it's five minutes to the end of the game. But I guess with regards to JaVale McGee, so obviously he doesn't seem like he knows what he's doing, especially on the defensive end. But in terms of the positives, what was he able to unlock for the Golden State Warriors, especially because... I mean, just objectively speaking, he does change the geometry of the game where you can just kind of throw it up anywhere and he'll catch it. So did that help Curry and Draymond? Not that you guys needed this extra angle, especially because it was only happening for 10 minutes a game, but did that allow for this kind of safety valve when your perfect offense broke down or or guys weren't able to you know, break their man off and it was three seconds left and, oh, JaVale's running to the rim, let's throw it up there.
1: Right. It's it's interesting because the assumption is that the Warriors have a perfect offense. The truth is that when they started Zaza Pachulia, the offense wasn't good. Or maybe not wasn't good, but it wasn't like what you would think it would be, right, with with Steph, Clay and, and KD. If Zaza was someone that uh, couldn't catch the ball, couldn't finish, and was generally just in the way. And, and that kind of saps not, like, you look at it from an anal- analytical perspective. Hey, you know, he's not spraying the floor. He's not doing this. But you look at it from a human perspective, he's also sucking the energy out of the guys. Like, they pass him the ball. He doesn't, do, he doesn't do. get the job done, right? Then all of a sudden you're like, okay, if I pass to him again, um, he's not going to finish. I don't want to pass to him. I'm going to force it up instead, right? That, that has an um, avalanche effect on the rest of the players. When JaVale is in, you can note the effect on on really like guys like Draymond and Steph because what they want to do when they get in the lane is they're excited to get in the lane. They're excited to pass on the ball and throw a lob, which they're never going to do with someone like Zaza. So mm-hmm. it had that cascading effect onto the players where they can essentially have more fun when they're playing basketball. So I would say that's one thing like LeBron, someone who's getting to the rack, someone that wants to facilitate is going to want someone like JaVale where he can finish. Right. Uh, yep. Essentially from that perspective, he's a much better version of Larry Nance who you mm-hmm. know is good, but still doesn't understand where to be with the ball uh, from a bare bones aspect. JaVale can do that. If you're looking at from from that, you know, from that side, then Javale is someone that can get people motivated, can get people pumped, and is a re- and really is a really good finisher.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And the Lakers, you mentioned Larry Nance, but he was probably our most athletic player last year, including maybe Julius Randle. But we didn't have a player like Javale, who I think his wingspan's like seven six, something He's like that. Freak. Seven freakish athlete, and it's funny because on paper, and if you could backtrack to the start of Javale McGee, McGee's career. You'd almost wish, like, why, why wasn't this guy Rudy Gobert, right? In terms of that mold? Cause he has the measurables to do it. And he's shown flashes throughout his career, whether it be the Wizards or the Nuggets of being that sort of player. But I guess for you, what do you think impeded him from becoming that Rudy Gobert ish type player?
1: Oh, it's, it's the mental side. Um, mm. People, people don't. I mean, I'm not going to say don't understand, but they don't take into account the amount of mental preparation you have to do. Like, when you talk about the Warriors, like, the amount of preparation that Steph Curry does and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green and and Kevin Durant, like, these guys study and are ready to go from from a defensive and offensive perspective. Like, you don't just get on the court and you're able to defend, like, a Mike Conley just because you're good at basketball. Like, you're able to understand how to defend him from a scouting report perspective because you know that, hey, he likes to go left, or he likes to go, you know, he likes to run, pick and roll from this side of the floor. He likes to shoot a floater from this side of the floor. Like, Klay Thompson is really good at that, right? Steph Curry is really good at that. He's not great defensively because he's small, but he's really good at understanding where it comes from, and Draymond and Andre Iguodala are two of the smartest players in the entire league. So, that's the mental preparation that you have to go through to play basketball at the professional NBA level. JaVale McGee doesn't I'm not gonna say he doesn't want to do it, but he just doesn't have it. So, so if you're not gonna have it, you're never gonna be that great at basketball, despite how athletic you are. So, at the end of the day, like he doesn't have it, but he still has the physical attributes, and and not physical from athleticism, but he's just long, and he has an innate feel on how to finish because he doesn't just dunk. He's also able to lay up. He's also able to like you know have a little hook shot, a little in between finish game. Like he was by far the best finisher that the Warriors had. So. Um, while he may not have the mental side that people are going to want, he's still able to be really good offensively if you get him the ball within five feet. I think, that Le- I think LeBron knows that. He- he's one of, if not the smartest player in the league. Like, he knows that if he can get JaVale the ball in that, in that paint, in that area, then it's going to be a bucket.
2: Yeah, I think LeBron and Rajon Rondo and Lonzo Ball included, especially because those are the types of guards who just kind of, they need that safety valve, especially if you take into account, you know, Rondo and Lonzo's deficiencies on the offensive end. And especially for Lonzo, who's not right now, still not good at breaking guys off the dribble on his own. He's going to need that safety valve. And at least JaVale McGee provides him with that. So with regards to his asthma, how serious is his case of asthma Um, I know he's been playing about 10 to 15 minutes the last seven years of his career and has only really cracked 20 minutes a game like three times. Is is it that serious or is it more a product of his flawed game and just, you know, the the mental deficiencies that he has that's kept him off the court?
1: That's a great question. I I, I think that from the Warriors perspective, I didn't, you know, I didn't pay too much attention to him in Denver or anybody else, Washington, right? From a Warriors perspective, I think they never wanted to risk that. And I think Mm -hmm. that kind of goes dovetails into two things. Like they didn't want to risk it from, hey, we're not going to, we're going to get diminishing returns if we play him too much. And the other thing is we just don't want to risk that he might not be in condition or he might have, you know, or his medical condition might cause him not to be able to play those amounts at 100%. So like, I think it's a combination of those two things. We never really found out whether he could or couldn't play more than, you know, the, the mm-hmm. amount of time that he had. But I will say, like, when he, when he was forced to, you know, play more than he should have, he was fine. I just don't know how sustainable that is, but the Warriors are also a team that tracks everything. So they'll, they'll make sure like, Hey, if his heart stop on a game is to, if he plays more than 20 minutes, he's, he's going to, you know, he's not going to be effective they're going to, you know, make a hard stop and say, hey, you're not playing more than 20 minutes. So I think from a Warriors perspective, they just didn't trust him to play more than that amount. And from a medical mm-hmm. perspective, they just didn't want him to play more than that anyway. So it kind of worked out together. He he wasn't someone that was ever going to play more than, you know, t- 20, 25 minutes. Now and he was you, exhausted in the NBA 5. <laughs> he played, like, more than, like, six minutes at a time. So he was never really in that shape anyway.
2: Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, now, you mentioned that he just doesn't know where to be on defense. And... I guess. Can you speak to his defensive ability when things did work out for him? In what scenarios does it work for Javale McGee? Does he provide any sort of switching capabilities on the perimeter?
1: He does. Um, Think of it as you know someone that has ADD, right? (laughs) Like if you put something in front of that person to do, like they'll do it. Like Mm -hmm. in the NBA Finals. He was able to guard LeBron one-on-one for, I don't know, like three, four, five seconds at a time. You put him in front of someone and you give him that singular focus, he's able to do it, you know, sufficiently. If you tell him, hey, listen, you need to be able to be help side here. You need to be able to contest the ball, you know, you know, two passes away. You need to be able to be at the rim uh, when this they run this sort of pick and roll play or that you need to be able to be here. He's not going to understand because that's a nuanced defensive layer that really only like, you know Rudy Gobert or Draymond Green or Kawhi Leonard, guys that are like Andre Iguodala, guys that are like you know made for this stuff um, are able to do. He's not able to do that. But if you give him a singular task of hey protect the rim and don't go anywhere, hey you know switch every single time and guard a small forward or a point guard, like he's going to be able to do that. But outside of that, in a sophisticated defensive scheme, you're you know you probably don't want him in the game.
2: Sure. So what was he like as a a teammate and a locker room guy? I have to tell you, man, I'm struggling right now. <laughs> I'm like looking at my questions. I mean, look, this is the Lakers this is like the Lakers equivalent of back in two thousand two during our championship days of talking about like Tracy Murray and Mike Penberthy or Samaki Walker. So, I mean, especially for you guys. I mean, we're not, we're not talking about KD. We're not talking about Curry, Draymond Green. So, this must be especially hard for you. But, yeah, what was he like as a, as a teammate and a locker room guy? And how was the Swaggy P JaVale experience for you guys? Let
1: me try to relate it back to the Lakers, right? So, let's look at a locker room of, you know, of kids, right? It's, mm-hmm. Le- it's LeBron and kids. It's, it's, it's basically he's the dad, right? So, we're talking about Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart you know, um, Kyle Kuzma, we're talking about guys that pretty much have been in the NBA for like one or two years. They don't know what's going on. So from that perspective, I think JaVale rehabbed, you know, what type of player he was. I think he was able to do that. Like, I think he was able to rehab like, hey, I'm not a locker room cancer. Hey, I'm mm-hmm. someone that's going to be fun in the locker room. I'm someone that's going to be there for people, right? I think from that perspective, JaVale was able to do that. Right, because he came from a team that was Gilbert Arenas, Javarris Crittenton, like two of the guys that are infamous in the in the in the league for just being guys that you don't want to be around. So I think Javale has healed that perspective. I also think that the fact that Javale was able to become a starter and then come off the bench and then not play at all. And sure. I mean, let me tell you, like guys aren't going to be happy about that. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are, right? I don't care. Who- what you've done or anything that you've done, you're not going to be happy about coming off the bench or starting and then not starting. And he was comfortable with that. He was open to, hey, I'm going to do what's best for the team. That someone, even if he doesn't tell, like, Lonzo, like, hey, you're not going to start this game because Rayshel Rondo's playing better, like, he's still going to be able to lead by that example. Mm. Like, he's still going to be able to say, he's still going to be able to show people that, hey, Lonzo, you're not going to be able to start, and that's okay. You know, like Josh Hart, you are you're not you're, you may not play crunch time minutes this game, and that's fine. Like, at the end of the day, it's about the team, and if we get a win, we're good. Like, JaVale, I think, was able to show that he's willing to do that, and the rest of the Lakers haven't, right? Because right. no matter how good these guys are, like, if Lonzo doesn't start for 10 games, we have no idea how he's going to feel. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think JaVale is going to be able to bring the team and is going to be able to say, look, Dude, I was you before. I was a talented player like Lonzo. And Lonzo might be better, but he's just a second-year guy that can't shoot. And if he can't right. shoot in the NBA, you're screwed. So, like, you're not any different than JaVale. So, if you need to take a seat on the bench, take a seat on the bench and don't complain. So, I think that's something that can help um, for the Lakers.
2: Right, that added perspective of a veteran. It's crazy to think that JaVale is a veteran, but he is. Um, So can you take me back to, and you, you've answered some of these questions in, in some of your prior responses, but can you take me back to when McGee first signed with you guys two years ago? Like You mentioned that Zaza Pachulia was the center before, but what was the additional context to that? What was the fan perception at the time? When JaVale signed, you guys had just lost to LeBron and Kyrie in the finals, I believe. Did he fill a need for you guys? And what, what were your initial impressions? Was was that something that the Warriors wanted? Like, we just need that 10-minute-a-game guy who can shot block in a pinch and also catch a lob.
1: Well, here's the thing. Like, uh, they signed him after Kevin Durant was signed. A lot, a lot of the feeling was, hey, like, Kevin Durant's on the team. Who gives a crap? But from an excitement perspective, yeah. It, it, JaVale was someone that, despite Fesses Azzili or Draymond Green or uh, Carl Landry or any of the centers that they had, Andrew Bogut, regardless of any of those, JaVale was someone that actually wanted to shoot at the rim. The Warriors still don't, to this day, have someone that wants to (laughs) shoot, right? No, it's true. Like, you know, Steph is a great finisher. He's one of the best finishers in the entire league at the rim, right? But he's a point guard, right? Klay Thompson doesn't shoot at the rim. Draymond Green doesn't shoot at the rim. Kevin Durant has stopped going to the rim. Right, he's someone that's mid range. He's going to draw fouls. He's going to shoot threes. Right, so Kevin Durant has become someone that doesn't get to the rim as much anymore, and that's fine. That's what you do when you're at old age. Zaza doesn't shoot at the rim, right? So David West, he's a mid range jumper guy. So Javale became someone that, and, and this ties back to why the Warriors were excited. Um, you need someone to finish, and when when guys like Durant and Draymond and Steph penetrate. And Iguodala, when they penetrate, they need someone to want to actually shoot the ball. Because those guys don't want to shoot the ball. Like, like Andre Iguodala, have you ever seen him five feet from the hoop? He don't want to shoot. So, JaVale was someone that made the game more exciting just off the fact that he wanted to shoot five feet from the rim. That was a plus for the Warriors, and that's something, and honestly, that's one of the reasons why Steve Kerr started him after the All-Star break. He basically said, these guys want to play with someone that's fun. Want to play Mm -hmm. with something that wants to hoop that way. So, um, this We'll live with the defensive miscues. We'll live with the dumb mental mistakes. He's going to score 10 points uh, because we're able to get him the ball.
2: Absolutely. And from a fan perspective, I mean, this guy has a mean highlight package. The five-minute highlights he has is probably all he's played in this season, but it's still, it's still exciting. <laughs> right, right. Um. And also his per 36, nasty numbers, man. He's he's a 23, 12, three-block type of player if you play him 36 minutes. <laughs> so I guess my, my next question to you is, in what was the most memorable JaVale McGee game? I don't know if you can remember a, a, a memorable JaVale McGee game, but yeah, what, what game was that? And did it show some snapshots of how useful he could have been if he had a different career trajectory from the start? Or
1: it, It's the most memorable game is not a good memory. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> the, the, most, the most memorable JaVale, which is probably not good um, as a fan, but the most memorable JaVale McGee game was the game that he, he jumps a lot on defense and jumps a lot for no reason. Mm-hmm. Right on, on shots that he can't block. But right before um it was around the end of March. Um, and this one took Steph out, is he jumped Ooh. for no reason against an offensive player, tried to block a shot, he tripped and he fell right into Steph's knee. And that's when it took Steph out from about the end of March to the uh, the second round of the playoffs, right? He didn't come back until the the Pelicans uh series in the in the semifinals. So that's, <laughs> as much as I hate to bring that up, that's probably his most um, infamous memory, um, was someone that, that really just needlessly jumped around mm-hmm. and, and, and just kind of caused injury for his own guys. For on a brighter side, uh, during the NBA Finals, I forget it was either Game 1 or Game 2, um, he came in, and he came in as a starter after halftime, and he scored like eight points in a row. Mm-hmm. But in true JaVale fashion, he also <laughs> missed a wide-open dunk. Yeah, so so it's it's always two sides of the coin with Treveon McGee. So gotcha. So I
2: guess in those situations, and and maybe it's just who he is, and you just really have to play him in short bursts. But in the situations that McGee particularly did excel for you guys, what what was the context for that happening, or was it as simple as if there was a traditional big on the floor, McGee was in, or was it really a game by game, quarter by quarter basis, and we're really only going to play this guy for guy for three minute stretches if we need to give someone a breather. Yeah,
1: it was game by game. It was mm-hmm. game by game for, for Steve Kerr, for sure. He was someone that you needed to, to anchor him with um, guys that can penetrate and guys that are able to call out defenses. Like, he would play with Andre Iguodala a lot. He would play with the starters a lot because he's someone that, you know, you don't want him to play with, you know, let's say, for example, an offensive crew of, you know, Omri Caspi, Clay Thompson, and Jermon Green, right, because those mm-hmm. are three guys that don't really create and don't really do anything. Um, and if that's the case, they're not able to feed JaVale the ball. And then if JaVale doesn't get the ball, you don't want him posting up because if he gets the ball and post up, you're in a world of trouble. So um, you got to put him in the right context. Um, I'd assume here that he's a great fit with Rajon Rondo, honestly. Yep. Um, he's going to be someone that's able to catch those law passes, that's going to row to a rim. Um, he's really a good fit with guys like Rondo and LeBron. Um, the issue is just how much you want to exert his minutes. And, and that's where I find the flaw. Uh, with mm-hmm. the Lakers finding JaVale, right? Getting him and having him as a situational uh, score and post-up player or, or post-up defender um, is fine, but I just don't see, you know, even a, a, a Mozgov on the Lakers would be nice, right? right? Someone that's just able to soak up minutes at the center position, like Zaza or David West, mm-hmm. right? you don't want JaVale to soak up his, to minutes because he's a high plus or a high minus guy. Guys like Zaza, he's he's constant. He's, he's a zero plus minus. But if you're looking at a, um, a JaVale McGee, it's he's either going to give you a plus six or a plus 10, or he's going to give you a minus 10. <laughs> and that's really not someone that you want uh, on an 82-game basis.
2: Sure. And whether it's the right mindset or not, I do think the Lakers are only going to be playing him 10 to 15 minutes. And I, I know your question is, okay, well, what happens to the next 33 minutes? You know, what's going to happen? And to that, I... I Honestly, I don't know. I I think I don't think Zubats is any worse than a who did you mention uh, Zaza Pachulia type player. Or I mean, Mozgov. or a Mozgov type player. You know, just a guy who's a little more beefier, has a solid base, and just he's there to draw some fouls or, or take some fouls. You know, and the rest of the time they are probably going to play small ball. We'll we'll see how sustainable that is throughout the rest of the season. And I wouldn't be surprised if by the trade deadline, they make a trade for like a Dwayne Dedman or some someone like that, you know, like a, right. like a more traditional center who can do a little bit more and can stay on the floor a little longer than a JaVale McGee. Cause he's not spacing out most of the time. Right. But I, I don't expect the Lakers to play JaVale McGee any more than the Warriors did. It may be five minutes more, but with the team, like the Lakers who are kind of in this trial out interim period, I, I don't expect that that'll sink them as much, you know, playing JaVale McGee five minutes more. Um, with regards to how the team wants to play, though, in terms of the Lakers, and you know, they, they were one of the, they led the league in pace at one point. I think the Pelicans, ironically enough, surpassed them by season's end with when Demarcus Cousins went down. Um, but with how fast the Lakers want to play, you mentioned that JaVale kind of runs out of breath pretty easily. But let's say in short spurts and pinches, what are your thoughts on his fit with a team that likes to run and leak out a lot? And even in terms of just him being able to block some shots and get that run going, do you think he fits in that sense? And do you think he's the type of guy that he's a pretty good rim runner still at this age?
1: Yeah, I think he is. I think for the amount that he's going to play, he's always going to be someone that's solid um, Mm -hmm. there. Um, The, the only um, problem I think for the Warriors was that, um he was always gassed though, like after mm-hmm. like a short period of time. So um, I, I think at the end of the day, um, it's gonna be it's gonna be on Luke Walton and how he manages those situations. because um, he's gonna have to understand that there's gonna be certain minutes he can play him and certain teams and that he can. Steve Kerr, for all the flack that he gets amongst Warriors fans, was really good at managing matchups for the center position. Um, For example, um, he wouldn't play JaVale against the Spurs, right? Because against the Spurs, you're going to have a team that's going to pinpoint any mistakes that you have. They're going to run pick and roll for JaVale. They're going to run off-ball screens. They're going to run switches off them. They're going to run all types of offense and, you know, all types of schemes that's going to expose JaVale McKeon, right? But Mm -hmm. against, let's say, the Cleveland Cavaliers, a team that's not smart, right? Uh, a team that's not ready for a game plan and doesn't have like really a good coach or players outside of LeBron, you play JaVale. You have, you have a team and a franchise that honestly like doesn't know what they're doing right outside of, Hey, (laughs) LeBron James was born in Akron. Great. But outside of that, they really don't know what they're doing. So against a team like that, you can play JaVale, but disciplined teams, Houston Rockets, like Houston, he didn't play a single minute, but the Pelicans, he was able to play, right? And the Cavs, he was able to play. So if Luke Walton is able to understand that on a regular season basis and play him against teams, then he's going to be fine. But if he's going to always, if he's going to keep him in a constant rotation and say, hey, you're going to play these seven minutes every night per half, that's probably not what you want.
2: So you're telling me JaVale McGee is probably not the sort of guy that can give us insider intel on Warriors plays and schemes and whatnot. Not that you guys really need any you know, complicated schemes with Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson, but he's not the insider agent we need.
1: <laughs> he's uh, he's probably someone that you're going to ask to see, you know, where the Warriors went, you know, after the <laughs> games.
0: Gotcha. This is Mike from the Almighty Baller Network. It's nice to have a helping hand, especially when it's tax season, and that hand is attached to a licensed tax professional. With TurboTax Live, you can talk to real CPAs and EAs on demand who can review your return with you before you file and to make sure you get your maximum refund. They can even check your work line by line so you can be confident it's done right. Who knew confidence and peace of mind could be synonymous with taxes? TurboTax Live with CPAs and EAs on demand. See details at TurboTax.com. Let TurboTax Live be your helping hand. Visit TurboTax.com today. Um.
2: All right. Well. With that said, I think that's all I have for Javale McGee. You said you watched Crazy Rich Asians this past weekend. What are your thoughts as an Asian American? All of us are an Asian American podcast. I know you probably had those. You know, and and for me, it was it was the same. I was like. I really hope this movie is just marginally good. And I I hope I'm not doing that thing where I'm just lowering my standard just because there are a bunch of Asian Americans on the screen. And I have to tell you, the first 15 minutes, I was like, oh, man, the acting's pretty bad. I don't know about this. Um, But I'll stop there. How did you feel about the movie? I,
1: You know, I had the same feeling, right? So, So, like... As an Asian American, I'm like, okay, so what stereotypical thing are they going to do here? You know, like, what what are they just throwing this out to, you know, just get some type of rep- representation, right? But, you know, all in all, I was really happy with the way they do it. Now, yeah. part of it was because it was actually really, I mean, some of it's unrealistic and you can nitpick. But from a, you know, I, I, as a guy, I'm not afraid to admit, like, I'm a big rom-com person, right? So, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy the really fun, fulfilling love stories that you can put in a movie. And it was a really good rom-com, just by itself. Mm-hmm. Whether it be an Asian movie or not, it was a really good rom-com. That's one. And I didn't expect that, right? And number two was I didn't know who was directing it or who was producing it. And I found mm-hmm. out after a fact but the person, John Chu, who produced it and directed it, or he directed it, was someone that understood Asian culture, totally. Asian stereotypes, Asian, like, way that we grew up, right? So, like, one of the scenes that was key to me was Ken Jong mimicking Asian <laughs> accents. And yeah. then he goes, hey, you know what? I'm just kidding. I don't have an Asian accent. Because when he did that, I cringe. I was like, oh, my God. Like, this is how people you know, this is how people depict Asian people, right? Here's the accent, you know, he's kind of ugly, he's fat, he's not likable, especially from an Asian male perspective, right? So I was like, oh my god, like, here we go. But then he goes, hey, I'm just kidding, right? So that was something where like, you can understand from an Asian culture perspective. And more importantly, from an Asian male culture perspective, like, that's what they were going for. They understood that And they knew, like, to play and to riff off of that. That's all I wanted. I wanted the self-awareness from an Asian community perspective and for a director that understood all of that. And then there was also a bunch of, like, Asian culture... Um, jokes that, I mean, I I live in San Francisco and and, and actually it doesn't matter where you live, but (laughs) people aren't going to understand it, right? Because there's not many Asian people in America. Like, I can tell like more than half the theater didn't understand some of the jokes or some of the things like, hey, Reds, good luck. Or, you know, the girls are never going to, you know, uh, be the favorites among an Asian family. Right? Right. Or or, or that like Asian Americans are always going to be different from Asians that grew up in the mainland. Like those type of jokes and those type of things that they talked about, like you can understand But, like, I didn't think that they could actually show that. To top it off, and I know I'm getting a little bit long-winded here, but I really love the movie. Um, To top it off, I didn't grow up rich. I was, like, okay, Crazy Rich Asians, I'm not going to relate to this. But the scene, the Mahjong scene at the end, where yeah. they, you know, like they related it back to, hey, I was an immigrant, my mom was an immigrant, and like, you know, screw you if you don't understand this, af- you know, this, this aspect and, and where I was coming from and how I feel. Like, that was something that was like, oh, wow. That's, that's what I'm looking for, right? And, and I had no idea that was coming. And so that was something that moved me.
2: No, I I totally agree with you. You know, the the first 15 minutes was a little rocky, but I was surprised at sort of how nuanced the characters became. And I'm talking more about Michelle Yeoh's character as well as right, Constance's right. mom. I was like, oh, yep. that, the, Constance's mom is a great actress. where did they find this person, you know? Um, but yeah, even from the intricate details of, you know, the ayahs and all that, people won't get that. But I'm glad that there's some things that they pander to a general audience, but I'm glad that there was some quote unquote Asian things that they didn't feel the need to necessarily have to explain to the larger public because they they know, you know, if you're Asian or if you're an immigrant, you're gonna understand this. Um and so I appreciated that. And and like you mentioned, the the Mahjong scene was pretty epic. And I'm glad that they didn't do much explaining in that as well. You know, I, I read this article afterwards of just like I don't I don't know how to play Mahjong. My grandparents played it, so I don't know all the different tiles and stuff, but I read an article, you know, detailing out what moves are being played and how that was symbolic to what was actually going on in the in the real life situation. I was like, damn, that's deep.
1: And you can kind of understand that too without even knowing what was going on. Like I kind right. of understood that as she was talking, like she obviously was gonna win, but she let that go, like, you know, similar to a real life aspect. And and the thing is like and the thing is, like, and I think that the directors and producers are starting to figure this out in Hollywood is, even if you don't pander to white people, and even if you're like, hey, this is how immigrants are, white people don't care. Yeah, they want to learn. They want to understand, like, where you're coming from, and, and that aspect, right? Outside of like, you know, people that don't care, obviously, right? The racist people, but I would say, like, majority of people that I watched in in San Francisco and in California, they're open. They don't care. Yeah, like, they're opening. They're open to learning that and saying, "Hey, like, this is the Asian culture. This is how they operate. You know, let's learn more about it, right?" Like, right. That's something that I think producers in Hollywood didn't understand. Like, they thought that people were close-minded and in a culture you know well <laughs> it depends where you are but in california like people are more open to understanding hey this is how immigrant culture is this is how asian culture is when you're rich right everybody's willing to learn that type of thing like it's not something where it's like i mean they might make fun of it but it's not something where it's like oh i'm not gonna watch that because i mean i yeah. walk into the theater and it's not 100 asian it's like, it's 50-50 at best, right? So, so that was, you know, something that was interesting. And I think that hopefully, you know, moving forward, a movie like this, I mean, like, so, so, so my thing is from a Hollywood perspective, you want like Crazy Rich Asians was like pretty much like the best looking Asian people in, you're <laughs> right, in media, right? And you look at Hollywood and movies there's mediocrity everywhere. You go into theaters and there's mediocre actors and actresses in every movie. Right. And at the end of the day, most of them are low average. Right. So what I think this can get to is a point where people are able to say, you know what, just because this guy is Asian doesn't mean that he has to be great at his job. That's not what Mm -hmm. they say, but that's what they think. Right. Because even if you look at the corporate world, if you're Asian, you know, usually you're like, okay, this is the one or two. You know, even my job, like I'm one of the two or three Asian people on my floor. He's obviously going to be really good at his job. That's what they think, right? But you want to get to that point where it's okay. This is an Asian actor. This is an Asian actress. That's it. Regardless if he's great or not, or if he's average or not, that's just who he is. He's an actor, right? That's where you want to get. Crazy rejections that get there because it's kind of like a, it's kind of a stepping stone to that point, but um hopefully it's a step towards hey these are all these great looking actors and actresses and they're really good at their job but we also want to get to a point where Constance Wu can start you know or or your any Asian actress can start a movie and they might be shitty that's fine I think for me that's like kind of not the end goal but that's kind of something that would be neat if you have a really crappy Asian actress (laughs) that's getting into big movies right because then now it's, like, not about the Asian actor or the Asian actress. It's just, hey, they're just the guy in the movie. And that's right. where you want to get to. It's a little counterintuitive,
2: but it also shows that once that happens, that it's a little more normal, too, to have more of these faces on screen. And like you mentioned, I th- I'm hoping that for the sequel, we get more of the Asian-American perspective, because we got the clashing of sorts in this movie, right? But I'm hoping, I don't know how the book goes, the second book or whatever, but hopefully we get a little bit more of how an Asian is just as an American living in America, you know, which Constance kind of provides, but a lot of the movie is set in Singapore. Also, I forgot to say spoiler alert before all of this. Maybe I'll just put <laughs> it on on Twitter or something when I tweet this out. But yeah, I just thought there was a lot of really cool, interesting dynamics at play here. And, and with regards to the entertainment and media that we have, there's so many options these days. And even with all those options there's still so much recycling going on that it's funny that you had mentioned that you know white people are interested in this well of course they are because for us this is recycled stuff because we've lived it but to other people this is new exciting they don't know about it and for us the, the way that it's new and exciting is we've never seen it depicted on screen um right. in america we've seen it in foreign films you know korean dramas and whatnot but those are the only things we've clung on to so to actually have people speaking English and seeing, you know, our white black brothers and sisters watching it along with us as if it's a normal movie. It's great, you know. Right, you get that—that that's that's sort of
1: a community. I guess that's where you're going for, right? You're going for the normalization of this, right? Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you don't want to think of, you know, 10, 15 years from now, you don't want to think of Crazy Rich Asians as like, oh, this great movie that's, you know, one time and never been done again. You want to think of Crazy Rich Asians as, hey, this movie that started a trend of, you know, not Asian movies, but Asian people or representation in media that says they're just in stuff. Right, yeah. they're just in random TV shows and movies, and maybe like you know, end of the day, you want someone that's doing a you know a lead actor in a movie that's not about Asian things, right? Like, yeah. it's not. It, it's about let's say like you know your typical random trash American movie, like you know, I don't know, like your 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 typical John Wick, right? It's a good movie, <laughs> right? It's a, it's a great movie. It, it's entertaining, but what's the difference between getting Keanu Reeves up there? And, you know, Harry Shum or whatever, like any Asian dude, right? Like there's no difference. Like you don't need a white face on that thing, right? So (laughs) the normalization of this is you get any Asian actor or any white actor. What's the difference between them doing John Wick, right? Because there's none. There's absolutely zero outside of the fact that, you know, systemic... You know, rules say that it should be a white dude doing that movie, right? And, Absolutely. And they do And they do that because they say, hey, white people are going to enjoy more than when there's a white dude. But if you're going to make this amount of money doing Crazy Rich Asians, it doesn't matter whether it's an yeah. Asian dude or a white dude doing that movie movie, because you're going to make the same amount of money anyway. So when that gets normalized and when that's accepted, that's when a movie like this gets to be told as like a, a legendary um, stepping stone you know groundbreaking type of movie that's where you want to get to you don't want crazy rich agents to be a singular movie because that's when you're like okay this is a great movie but if this is going to help anything then you know that might not be you know that might not be what we're going for at the end of the day
2: Absolutely. I have one last question to ask you, but uh I've read this article too about Aquafina's uh you know, black accent. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. You know, for me I I just wanna explain to people that Aquafina grew up in Brooklyn and I don't know what how she grew up, but I'm assuming that the culture and context around her allows for her to be able to speak that way. And that's just her environment that she grew up in. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. A part of me is a little cringeworthy that like, oh, yeah, if people don't know her background, then they're just like, she's just using this accent to get laughs. And they have this quote unquote black cliche token character. And that sucks. But honestly, that's how she grew up.
1: (laughs) You never want to tell people how to feel. So like, sure. if if black people are going to say, hey, this is offensive to me, great. It's offensive to you. Well, not great, but say, hey, this is <laughs> offensive to you. I'm not going to tell you not be offended, right? Because that's not my place. I'm not black, right? But the same thing goes for Asian people. If I'm offended by someone, you know, being, you know, Asian dude being depicted as someone who's just ugly and has an Asian accent, don't tell me how I should feel about that. Mm. Right. Um, The character in itself, I thought she was, she had funny lines. Yeah. Um, I also thought she was pretty cringeworthy though. Like she wasn't, she tried really hard. Like it was just in a way it's like, oh, like you're trying too hard, right? Like right. to be someone that you're not. That's just my vibe um, from what I was. um. But at the end of the day, she didn't really – like from from my perspective, and if you're offended, that's fine, right? That you're free to feel how you feel and you're justified to that. But she never really said anything that's offensive. Right, right. Right? Like she never really like made fun of African-Americans or say the N-word, Right. Or any of those things or like make like, you know, made fun of anything that was, you know, African-American. The only thing Shady adopted was, I guess, like a culture, but she never really like rapped or did anything like that. Right. Um, So you can say maybe she culturally appropriated the hair, I guess, if you want to be nitpicky. But outside of that, I never thought she said anything offensive to, to black people. You know, at the end of the day, (laughs) I didn't find her that funny. She was honestly like the worst part of the movie for me, (laughs) um, outside of like you know some funny lines. I just thought she tried too hard. I thought Ken Jong was way funnier. Like Mm. if they made if they modeled her after Ken Jong, it would have been way better. That's right. But I mean, you know, I didn't think it was that offensive. I mean, I don't think they were. If I here's here's what I think: if the director was offensive, I don't think he was trying to be. Like I don't think it was. I don't think it was something that he was like hey, we're going to model this after black people or something like that. So yeah. you know how it is now. The black backlash is always going to be massive. But sure. I, I don't think that was something that they were aiming for. I could be wrong. But I also agree that she was probably the worst part of the movie for me.
2: Oh, gotcha. I, I actually really like Alkafina just because I I think My it's more so... <laughs> I think it's more so because I know her story and just how she made it in this industry as first like a YouTube rapper and how she kind of just exploded onto the scene. And you know, you know, like rap just in general and hip hop is steeped in black culture and she is legitimately a rapper. How oh, she, she is a rapper. She is a rapper. Yeah, she does rap. So I mean I can I can vouch for her and say that's also actually how she acts. She's not really acting. Uh-huh. So if you think she's annoying, she's also that way in real life, you know. I think that that's my take on it. I like her just because I know her backstory. If you're looking for something to watch on Netflix, watch Bad Rap, which is a a Netflix documentary on Asian American rappers. And she's one of the uh, rappers profiled. I think it's really interesting if you're into if you want some more Asian stuff. So, yeah, with that said, JaVale McGee. Thank you. (laughs) There we go. We'll cap it off right there and bring it back. Well, let's
1: say this. Jordan Clarkson was half Filipino. He was not on the team anymore. But that's true. We can cap it there.
2: That's There we go. We can cap it there. And unfortunately, he lost to China and South Korea in the Asia Games. But you know what? It's okay. <laughs> with that said, Andy, thank you so much for hopping on and talking some JaVale McGee with us and some Crazy Rich Asians and Asian American representation. You're on a podcast with an Asian American host and a and one of my co-hosts is half Japanese as well. So awesome. we're, we're doing it for the community. Here we go.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thanks for having me. Mom
2: absolutely uh, so one more time if you just want to plug your Twitter or anything like that or any upcoming projects you have please go ahead and do so
1: just two things yeah you can follow me on Andy KHLIU um, you can follow me there um, but most importantly if you guys want to listen to Warriors and NBA stuff you can follow me on Light Years Podcast on iTunes
2: awesome and if you listen to that podcast don't call yourself a loser just kidding, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> alright with that said we'll catch you next time man thank you take care brother thank you alright see ya <music>